Where Do You Stop? Chapter 35 concludes. The first night we played Night Watchman, Marvin was the watchman. There must have been 30 crawlers in my backyard trying to get into the tower without being caught. Most of them weren't very good at avoiding detection. They snapped twigs, sneezed, stood up if the tricky watchman called their names, asked for time out to go to the bathroom, and were caught in the beam of the watchman's flashlight every time. Impatience was their common fault. They got twitchy. Those of us who learned to play the game well discovered that it was a waiting game. A crawler had to be willing to lie perfectly still for long periods of time, waiting for the watchman to shift position, for a car to honk its horn somewhere, for another crawler to make an error, for anything that would cover the sound of an inch's progress toward the tower, and had to enjoy the idea that the game had no time limit. After a couple of weeks, Rascal, Marvin, and I were the only ones who still played the game regularly. There were always other kids playing with us, but they came and went and never amounted to more than static. We three, however, had become passionate devotees. I was a masterly crawler and proud of it. I had had some training. My idle days in the field where the Perlia Street School now stood had taught me crawling. My afternoons beside Ariane had taught me the art of inching up. Most of all, though, I had a new knack for patience. I was so good at being patient that I amazed myself. I learned the trick from my encyclopedia ramblings. My secret consisted mainly of letting my mind wander while I waited for an opening, rambling from thought to thought as a way of keeping myself from growing impatient and making a mistake that would reveal me. If I waited, my time would come. So I would lie and wait and think, deliberately think. A word might get me going or a memory, but every time I'd find myself wandering from one thought to another. I think my preference for working in small bites began with this game, this lying in the dark and thinking about something for a while and then moving on to something suggested by it. When I think hard about something, pay really close attention to it, I can sustain the effort only for short bits. At the level of really close attention, my mind is working too fast, like the wind-up record player when I had it operating at its highest possible speed, and there seems to be some danger of a rattling collapse. Best to slow it down for a while.
however, operating always at a comfortable speed, looking always at the surface of things, thinking at the level of generalities, wouldn't be satisfactory. Nothing really interesting can be comprehended at that level without simplifying it to the point where it's no longer particularly interesting at all. And what would be the good of examining something interesting, anything interesting, for example, making observations of your personal history, adventures, and experiences at such a gross level of perception? At the grosser levels of perception, you see surfaces, you see edges, and you seem to see mostly differences, boundaries where things are differentiated from one another. But for short, tiring periods, you can get down to the finer levels, working with extremely fine tools set at fantastic degrees of magnification. When you look at yourself, or anything, that closely, you are looking at tiny bits, each of which yields only a tinier bit of information. You absorb it, consider it, and move on to the next tiny bit. You may have to take some time at the surface to catch your breath, change your leaky batteries, rewind your spring, but you'll be back. You are an explorer of the minuscule, and the picture you begin to form is busy and bumpy, not at all the smooth and regular impression you got from a greater distance or at a lower magnification. Down here, differences are harder to see. As quanto the minimum, and elementary introductory physics made easy for beginners book one taught me things get strange down among the tiny bits. Sometimes things overlap and it's hard to tell whose electron is whose. Hard to tell where one edge stops and another starts. Hard to tell when you've stopped thinking about one idea and started on another. Thoughts like that, not that one specifically, of course, but thoughts like it kept me quiet in the dark until the time was right to wriggle closer to the tower. Figure seven, a gross macroscopic view top apparently shows a sharp line of demarcation between two regions A and B. However, a closer look bottom shows that things are not so simple. The regions may represent the sweat and oils on the skin of a 17-year-old woman, A, and an 11-year-old boy, B, commingling when they touch an advancing cloud of perfume, A, penetrating the ambient atmosphere of a general science classroom, B, the end of one episode in a person's life, A, and the beginning of another, B, some members of the white population of a place like Babington, A, 
mingling with the black population, B, a grove of bamboo, A, advancing on a field of wheat, B, children in elementary school drifting from one subject, A, to the next, B, in the years before they are made to change classes, and the way when we let our minds wander, one idea, A, dissolves into the next, B, like the edges of objects depicted in a watercolor painting.